Well, good morning. I think we'll go ahead and get started this morning. It's good to have you with us. Had a little bit of rain yesterday. Hopefully it made some difference east of here and helped knock down the fire some. I didn't hear if it made it that far, but we uh, rejoice for the rain. I'd like to uh, begin this morning with uh, prayer and announcements, and then we'll go right into the singing and then uh, right into the preaching. So be a little bit different order this morning. So let's uh, open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we are your children, that you are our Father, that you are our God, that you are holy, that you are almighty, that you're powerful, and you're everywhere, and you know everything. And Lord, we, we have great uh, comfort from that, that knowledge, and we just pray that you will help us, Lord, to be able to experience that comfort in our lives from day to day, especially in these troubling times where it's so easy to be frustrated, so easy to be uh, cautious or fearful uh, with the things going on around us. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to keep our eyes and our hearts upon you, worshiping you, praising you, learning more about you, uh, finding uh, peace and comfort through our our relationship with you. And we pray that with your Holy Spirit and with your word and scripture that you've given us, that you will help us, Father, to find that peace and comfort. Lord, we pray that you be with us this morning as we come together to worship as a body. And we pray that you will uh, bless us, that you will be with us, that your spirit once again will just move among us and teach us from your word this morning as we look at these letters in Revelation, and we pray that you be with uh, BJ and give him the words that you would have us to hear today. Help us to understand what's being said. And Lord, we pray for those among us that uh, are uh, suffering because of the various situations that are going on, the pandemic, the fires, the hurricanes. Uh, again, Lord, it would be very easy for us if we did not know you to look around and see the things going on around us and become fearful and concerned. And while it is things to be prayerful about, and uh, we, we pray, Father, that you help us as Christians to be able to be a comfort to others around us through these fearful times. Help us to be able to example Jesus Christ to the people around us that we meet. Uh, if it's the star, store clerk or a family member or a friend or a neighbor, it doesn't matter. Lord, we pray for um, those that we may know in our extended families and loved ones and contacts that may be dealing with COVID. We think of David and Lisa Johnson and pray for their healing, especially for David as he's struggling, that you will just heal his body, protect his family from uh, exposure, and we pray that you will just help the doctors to be able to give him uh, relief and to help him get over this uh, this sickness. We continue to pray for the Cordozas and asking for peace and comfort in the loss of Valeris, and ask that you'll help us to know the best way to come around them and encourage them and bless them and be with them. And uh, Lord, I just ask specifically that you will be with your church, especially here in the United States, but uh, throughout the world, 
that you will be with us, Father, and help us, uh, Lord, to prevail through these troubling times, through these tough times that we're dealing with, and help us to be the light to a dark world around us. Help us to, to realize that showing love to each other and showing love to our fellow man is much more important than all these other things that are taking place around us. It, it, it uh, overcomes politics. It overcomes um, uh, the, the COVID and all the other things. Help us, Father, to be the men and women of God that you desire us to be. Help us to accomplish that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we have uh, a couple announcements. One of them um, we'll wrap up with because it'll take a minute. But uh, we are having a uh, harvest event. It's not going to be a harvest party. It won't be like we have typically been doing. We're still working out the, the fine details of how it's going to be accomplished. But we're going to have some method for the kids of the church to be able to come uh, probably to here to pick up a goodie bag and uh, be able to uh, receive something from us, and we'll have a, uh, a gift for them and a, a card to let them know that we're, we're missing them and, and loving them. And, but uh, in doing this, we are uh, uh, looking at uh, October 31st, but uh, we, would, we could use a couple bags of candy if anybody would like to, next time you're at Costco or Walmart or wherever you do your shopping, uh, pick up a couple bags of candy or a bag of candy and drop it off. We could use that so we can add uh, some goodies to the uh, kids' treat bags. But um, we would appreciate that, and we'll get more details out to people as time comes. But, uh, again, it's not going to be a party. It's not going to be something that all the kids are here. They'll probably just pass through here as they're uh, going about their evening and uh, pick up something from us. So. That's kind of what we're working on. The other announcement that I'd like to, to make, I, I put out a blog on the uh, website. So if you've seen that, you, you already have an idea what we're doing. But I'd like to take a couple minutes to encourage you to, to participate in this year's Operation Christmas Child. You see the boxes that I have uh, put out. Uh, so you're probably getting a clue. We're getting about to that time of year. Uh, you know, this has been a tough year. It's been a tough year not only for individuals and families, but it's been tough for us as a church and other churches struggling to figure out how do you be a church and a local body while being apart and uh, uh, staying at home or podcasts or however you're you're doing that. As some of you here with us this morning, uh, uh, yeah, it's a little easier because we are together again, but there's many that we're still missing. So we've been trying to think of ways to be able to reconnect us as a body. And uh, this is an opportunity that we have to be able to pull together as a United Church congregation, uh, this Operation Christmas Child Shoebox uh, Drive. Uh, this year, I'm being joined by Heather Peterson as the church coordinators. So if you have any questions about the drive at all, please feel free to reach out to one of us. I think both of us are in the directory and catch us here if you have questions. And those who are following us on uh, podcasts, uh, if you can't uh, come by here at the church to ask questions, just just call us at our homes. 
Uh, last year, I think, was our best year that we've had with the drive since we've been doing it. I think we've been doing the shoe boxes specifically for probably about five years. And last year, we, we, we uh, did great. Uh, we had over 60 boxes that we gave last year. And for a small church like this, I, 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 I was very honored and uh, pleased on how it turned out. All of you have been uh, very gracious with your participation. We do have boxes available, as you see here at the church, and we want to invite you to help yourself to, to however many you think you're going to fill this year. And uh, if you are not coming to the services right now and you need the, those supplies, you need some boxes, just, again, reach out to Heather or I, and we'll make a, an effort to get them out to you as soon as we can. Uh, I have a couple videos from the Samaritan's Purse website that I'm going to show you this morning promoting the drive. And one thing that uh, I just wanted to make you aware of as we're doing this uh, this year especially is that the boxes from this area are going to the Pacific Islands. So think tropics. Uh, when you're packing your boxes, I know in the past people have knitted uh, winter hats and scarves and gloves and things like that. While those are wonderful, they may not be quite as useful to somebody on a tropical island. So just think tropics as you put together the boxes this year. So with no further delay, we'd like to watch a couple videos, and then we'll go right into uh, the singing. And I'd like to thank you for your participation. You're, you're faster than I am, Ted. Go ahead. Every child in the churches, the church, 
their gospel on their islands. Some islands are very remote. Not all of them are located in our internet. There's a challenging to fight Humans with the right hand to have the people's physical needs, and on the other hand, you meet the spiritual needs. And when I look at OCC and give their, their time, their resources to the next markets to reach the island, I would say yes, that is something that I want to do, and that's something that I pray for, and that's something that I even go myself to be part of what's happening with this island. It was awesome watching the children. Um, we were really like, joyful because we could see the joy in their faces and the surprise. All we could see the people really excited the body. And uh, we listened to the resources. So having this big picture, you know, to show the kids, cement the gospel in them. OCC is a blessing to us here in Palau, and especially here in my agriculture, you are safe. You are very thankful. You know, I was very good to have the opportunity to have us. Operation Christmas Child for the year. Do these kids from Jesus, and also do us be able to give us the opportunity to have something in our hands as we go and minister to these kids and these families. When we reach out to a child, of course, the family is also being outraged. They have seen our church grow uh, as a result of a person is not child and the greatest journey. The greatest journey is a lesson that would really make the children be grounded in the Word of God. You want all the children to hear Christ. Out of this time, they will build on this rock that exists on this court, that as they grow up, they will be strong, will go to Christ. But it really shows the heart of Jesus that we minister to children. Because these children really don't have anything in their possession. When they are able to receive the love of Jesus, there's no strings attached. It's just his free gift of love. Scripture tells us to go throughout all the ends of the earth and bring the news of Jesus Christ to the teachers of the world to do. And that's why it's absolutely important that we're out here from all ends of the earth where you're from. If you look on a map, you're way out in the city in a remote location. We're not here at the fall. That's what I love about Operation Christmas Shot. There's no borders, there's no boundaries. It's all about sharing the name. Good morning. Everyone, uh, can you please stand with us as we worship? Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For he is good, he is above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever. For the light. 
life that's been reborn. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever God is with us forever. From the rising to the setting sun, His love endures forever. By the grace of God, we will carry on. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever God is with us forever. Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever God is with us forever. Fast 
blessing. Tis a haven, sweet of rest. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Tis a heaven of heavens to me. And it lifts me up to glory, for it lifts me up to Thee. My soul does magnify the greatness of the Lord. On me his favor lights in my Savior. I rejoice. He has done mighty things. Holy is his name. All creatures under heaven fear him. Whose mercy reigns, he has proven his might, his arm outstretched with strength. He has scattered the proud and brought down all vain conceit. He has lifted the lowly, brings goodness to the poor. My Savior's love endures. Oh, Israel, find your help solely in the Lord. His mercies without end, His promise He'll uphold. He has proven His might, His arm outstretched with strength. He has scattered the proud and brought down all vacancy. He has lifted the lowly, brings goodness to the poor. My Savior's love endures. My Savior's love endures. Glory be to the Father and the Son, Glory be to the Spirit, three in one. Glory be in the beginning and the end. Glory forever. Amen. He has proven his might. His arm outstretched with strength. He has scattered the proud. And brought down all vain conceit. He has lifted the lowly, brings goodness to the poor. My Savior's love endures. My Savior's love endures. My Savior's love endures.
You may be seated. If, I know it's a long time of standing. If you'd open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you, 
and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. It's God's word. Amen. Father, would you just come to you today? Uh, We ask for your help. I ask for your help. Um, I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that what is true would be received and that we too would repent and believe the truth about you. Our lovely King Jesus, help us today. So as Brad mentioned, um, in America, we're living in quite the time, really in the world, of course. But here, um, a lot of things going on right now. And one of the things that we live in is a society of mistrust, society of misinformation, partisanship, confusion, division, anger, questions about reality in its widest forms. And we live in a time of change, a time of upheaval. One article I found that was just recently published by a guy by the name of David Brooks. He's a New York Times columnist, and he wrote this for The Atlantic. He says, the events of 2020, the the coronavirus pandemic, the killing of George Floyd, militias, social media mobs, and urban unrest were like hurricanes that hit in the middle of that earthquake. They did not cause the moral convulsion, but they accelerated every trend. They flooded the ravines that had opened up in American society and exposed every flaw. This essay is an account of the convulsion that brought us to this fateful moment. Its central focus is social trust. Social trust is a measure of the moral quality of a society, of whether the people and institutions in it are trustworthy, whether they keep their promises and work for the common good. When people in a church lose faith or trust in God, the church collapses. When a people in a society lose faith or trust in their institutions and in each other, the nation, excuse me, the nation collapses. He goes on. Well, the book of Revelation was written in a time of major upheaval. And the book of Revelation is about the relationship of God in the person of Jesus Christ to his church. And it relates to the pressures that the churches at that time were facing the pressures to compromise be it via the state in the culture in society religion and it was written to a church in to churches in a specific time and place in the roman empire somewhere between ad 41 and 117 it could have been it's a wide range commentators aren't sure could have been under Claudius, Nero, Domitian, or Trajan. And it could have been either right before the destruction of Jerusalem, when Rome sacked the temple and destroyed it, or it could have been right after that. But there are major changes that have taken place. A new age has dawned. 
And so that is where the book of Revelation comes from. And the book is relentless in having us focus on Jesus Christ. The point of the book of Revelation is just that. That is to reveal the purposes of Jesus. The fact that God has brought everything, all of the mysteries have been revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. In history itself, the end of history is about Jesus, the King. And in a world on earth, there's all kinds of pressures, persecutions, pressures to compromise according to the spirit of the age. And the kind of book it is tells us in verse one, it tells us that it is a revelation. What does that mean? It doesn't seem always revealing. Well, that just simply means it's an uncovering. The word is apocalypsis, an uncovering. I even heard it termed as disrobing, that it's pulling back the curtain to show what is at the center of the purposes of God, to show what is at the center of reality in life, the heavenly perspective of what is happening on earth. It's a prophecy that's mentioned in chapter 1, verse 3, a divine utterance. It's spoken to hearers, to listening, to listeners. These things would have been read to be heard. That God has spoken. And it's a prophecy in continuity with the other prophecies of the Bible. Seventy percent of the verses I read have some kind of an Old Testament illusion. Jesus is the fulfillment of all prophecy. And Revelation is the climax of that. It uses the language of symbol like prophecy does. So we speak English written in Greek. But really, Revelation is speaking in the language of symbol. And the way in which we go about that meaning is by interpreting many times the whole story of the Bible and the language of the Bible. It's also a letter that's mentioned in verse four and verse 10, that, the, that this is given to seven churches that are in Asia, Asia in verse four. Later in verse 10. Excuse me, 11. Right. What you see in a book, send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. So it's an apocalyptic, prophetic letter, all of these wrapped into one. It's going to specific places and to these specific churches at that specific time. Seven signifies completeness, wholeness. So, yes, it's addressing specific situations there. But it's to all of the churches. It was probably a circular letter that would have gone around the various churches in Asia. And the first one it lands on is Ephesus. And Patmos was an island outside where John was located. Ephesus would have been kind of the first spot as it would travel through the rest of Asia. Ephesus was the capital of a Roman province in Asia, probably 250,000 people. It was a wealthy city. It was full of trade. We read about Ephesus and Acts. In fact, it's one of the churches we know the things most about in the Bible. There was a great temple there, a temple to Artemis, who was also called Diana. 
This temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. She was the fertility goddess. There was a statue there covered with many breasts. Thousands of priests, priestesses were there, some of them probably sexual prostitutes. It was also a place of an imperial cult. That's where the imperial cult was for emperor worship, especially during Domitian's time. And there was a temple there to him. And it would have even started before then. There was an interest in magic and sorcery. We read about in Acts 19, astrology, the powers of the sky. Many deities worship there. And supernatural works. And so all of these things are taking place in Ephesus. But the point of this letter and the point of this book is really wrapped up in the fact that Jesus is king. In verse 5, we read, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. Jesus is the king. And so I think the biggest idea is that our attention, our allegiance, our affection must be transfixed on King Jesus. And that's what we need now in this city, in this culture, in this church, is your attention, is your allegiance, is your affection for him. When you cut back the layers of your life, the things you think about, the emotions that rise and fall in your heart, is it on Jesus? That he's king. We live in an increasingly politicized culture, clearly, all kinds of upheaval. And when we say that Jesus is king, we're making a confession of faith and we're making a confession of repentance. We're saying Jesus is king. Caesar is not. Jesus is king. Presidents aren't. Jesus is king. Everything that he says, everything that he does calls us to repentance, no matter what our perspectives are. When he's king, things are different than the culture and the spirit of the age. So do you believe that? Does your life reflect that? That your heart is on Jesus and that he rules and reigns over the nations and that the church, that's the point of the church. That is your identity. It is not in many other. You may have pieces in other identities, but that is your chief identity and your chief confession. And so Jesus is speaking to these churches and he has a message for them. And this is his message to Ephesus. The first message, I think, is in verse one. And if we want to use a bunch of R's, it would be that King Jesus reigns and rules. King Jesus reigns and rules. He is sovereign over all and he's present with his people. And we see that in the first verse. He holds seven stars in his right hand. And again, we could go on and on about symbolism. I'm only going to be able to hit a few things. 
But seven stars is probably this focus on the supernatural powers and forces of the sky and actual supernatural beings. The stars are connected to the angels. It talks about in verse 20. Who are these angels? He's writing to a church and angel. What does that mean? There's several different opinions. I'm not even going to go into all of them. But there's no doubt the one thing that Revelation does is it peels back the focus from earth on what is happening in heaven. And so there's a supernatural power that encompasses the church, whether this is human messengers, whether it's actual angels, who knows? We know that what Revelation does is it shows us there's a cosmic warfare and supernatural realities are at stake. And that Jesus holds the stars. He's the sovereign one. The stars don't have sway. The principalities and powers and gods of the air. They can be real. They can be powerful, but he's king and he's defeated them. He holds them. He's sovereign over them. He walks among the seven golden lampstands. Those are interpreted as the seven churches. A lamp. Who's Jesus? Jesus is the light. The churches are to be lights. Lampstands burning ablaze with Jesus as king. And so his presence is with them. He's the sovereign one. He's the one who is there, who is with them. Verses 2 to 3, and if we pair that up with verse 6, another R. King Jesus makes a recommendation, and I mean re is in the prefix. Again and again we see this, that he commends them over and over again for a particular aspect of what they're doing as a church. And it's that Jesus the King intimately knows, knows is mentioned a few times, and encourages the Ephesians for their intolerance toward false teaching. In verse 2, they are toiling with this. They are patiently enduring this. They cannot bear, it says. They cannot bear those who were evil. They identify them. They specify them. They call them out. That is false. They endure patiently again in verse 3. While they cannot bear the false teaching, they bear up. So under pressure, they bear up for the name, the character of Jesus. They haven't grown weary, it says. They haven't grown weary. That's taken from a term of weariness as the one who has been beaten. As if they're in a fight, getting boxed, getting hit. And they keep going. As if they were exhausted from a fight, but they keep going. They don't grow weary. They identify false teaching. They are good at theology, so to speak. They're good at confessions of faith, statements of faith, discerning, orthodoxy. They got it down. They obeyed Paul in Acts 20. That's one of the letters, or or when Paul talks to some of the leaders of Ephesus, one of the key things he says to them is, hey, wolves are coming. He says, be alert, very clearly. Ephesus, be alert. False teaching is coming. They obey that. They're being obedient to what the apostle has said. They they faithfully overcome the false foes that they should. They do not compromise. Later in verse 6, they hate, they detest. So this evocative emotion, they don't just dislike truth. It's not just kind of neutral. Well, that's false, true, false. It's an emotional hatred of what is false. 
We don't really know what the Nicolaitans are. It's probably connected later. It could have to do with like the pagan practices, the sexual immorality, the pressure to participate in a culture that is false. Maybe at the temple, maybe at the um, um, temple with the priestesses or the priests, maybe at the temple of emperor worship. But they do not put up with false teaching and they despise it. And Jesus commends him for it. That's a good thing to do. We're going to hit love in a minute. But again, in our culture, love doesn't work that way. You don't get to hate things like that. Because if you hate a position, if you hate something like that, you actually hate the person. Jesus is saying, no, there actually is a way to hate that is right. So Jesus commends them for this. In verses 4 and 5, another R, King Jesus rebukes them. He rebukes them. Jesus does that too. He loves us so much, and he loves us at times with rebuke. This proverb says, open rebuke is better than hidden love. He calls them to repent and to return to the main point of love. So our affections, the affections of God's people, the heart of God's people must always exceed our affections for our positions. You got orthodoxy right. You got the teaching right. You can identify every error in the culture. Great job. But you know what? If your heart and your love and your affection is in that, is in just being the position guy, the theology guy, the cultural critiquer guy or, or gal, we got it wrong. We are to love God and to love people. That is the great commandment. You know, I was thinking of kind of a, a provocative title for the sermon, Make the Church in Ephesus Great Again. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that language carries in symbols, meanings in our culture. For some of you, it could be an emotional response of patriotism, maybe um, hope, purity. There's all kinds of different things that it can elicit. On the other side, it could be back again to what? For whom? It's going to carry, you're going to hear that, and it's going to do something to you inside. It's going to create an image. That's what Revelation does. The symbols are to provoke. And Jesus is trying to provoke them. You need to go back to the main point again. You have fallen suddenly from something. You have fallen from love. It's from where you've fallen. There's this connection between the first works and the first things. And the first and most important thing is love. Saying, remember, Ephesians, you used to have this and it's no longer there. You're all about positions. You're all about teachings and identifying the wrong and the right. You're all about getting your position out there. And you've missed. It is about love. Christianity is about love and the confession, Jesus is our king. 
and we love him and we will love other people. That's the point. Now, sure, there's a lot of reading in we have to do here because we don't know exactly. That's the, you know, well, what is this love? Love for God, love for people, all different kinds of things like that. What exactly is it? We don't know for sure, but we know from the rest of the Bible, the point is love. We know that both those things are intertwined. And so he calls us to love. The way in which the church in Ephesus can be great again is to return to love. How? I think one would be, if you go back to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2. In fact, let's go there just for a quick second. Jeremiah 2, verse 2. There's this emphasis on the way in which we should love. We should have a bride's affection for Jesus. A bride's affection for God. Love should look like that. Revelation 2, excuse me, Jeremiah 2, 2. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. There's this prophetic book of Jesus calling them to love him with that kind of love and affection. In Matthew, Jesus says, in the last days, the love of many is going to grow cold. So this is a sense of hot affection for Jesus. That's one way that we return to from where we have fallen. We also, we love in action. If John wrote this, what's the book of John about? There's all kinds of truth and all kinds of love. You can't say you love God and hate other people. You have to love in action. How do you love in action? You love with deed and with truth. So our love in action must be sacrificial. Are we characterized by churches that love sacrificially, by, by having a heart as a church that loves sacrificially? It doesn't just love in voice. It doesn't just love by speaking the position. It actually goes out and meets the need. As Jesus does. If it doesn't, it's not real love. It was interesting as I was looking at the book of Ephesians, which was probably written earlier, like AD 62 or so. And this would have probably been, like I said, right before the destruction of Jerusalem or after. But what did Paul say at the very end of the chapter? Love Jesus Christ with the love incorruptible. That's the end of his letter. Calling the Ephesians You know what the point is? Love Jesus with incorruptible love. You know what he says earlier in there? He talks about speaking the truth in love. So how do we do this? We speak the truth with love, with gentleness. We need to be churches that speak truth, yes, and do so with a gentleness. Paul speaks in 1 Timothy about that. He calls elders and teachers not just to just ram home the truth, which they should do, but to do it in a way that is characterized by the gentleness and love of King Jesus. You correct your opponents with gentleness. You don't do that, there's something wrong with the way you're doing it. It's not real love. So how do we go back from where we have fallen? We repent and we love. We love with a bridal affection for King Jesus. We love the way he loves in actual action, concrete in history, in life, Meeting those in need. We love the truth. We speak the truth with gentleness. And he makes a threat. He says, what's going to happen if you don't do this? Your lampstand's gone. What's the lampstand? The lampstand's the church. 
So a church that does not love is not a church. If it continues on that path down through time, it ceases to become the church. So again, Jesus is calling us, are we marked by love? For King Jesus with the kind of love that King Jesus had, laying down his life and conquering Satan's sin and death. Is that what we are marked by? Again, using the image of that title I gave. When people think of RCF, when they think of us, what's coming to mind? Is it a political agenda? Is it a certain other theme? Is it a certain way of life? Or is it love? Man, those people love well. I may disagree with them, but man, they actually love pretty well. Like, is that what marks the church? Us. Is that what marks the church in America? So, Jesus calls us to love. In 2, 7. Jesus, another R, King Jesus' reward. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. There's this whole theme in Revelation, excuse me, in Revelation about conquering. So how do we conquer? We love him. No matter what the pressure is, we love the way he loves. We handle truth the way he handles truth. And we draw our affections toward the conqueror. We conquer patiently enduring all of this because he is conquered. And what's going to be the reward? He's going to grant. He's going to give us the right to eat the tree of life. God blocked the tree in the garden because of their disobedience. And he's saying it's now wide open. Trust me. Love me. Continue. With me, you get to eat of that tree. You can have life forever. You want paradise? That's what you get. Paradise isn't going to be found in temples, isn't going to be found and given into society, isn't going to be found in emperor worship or politicization or anything else. Paradise, pleasure, forever. The presence of God is found by those that conquer in this way that he's calling us to. And so what I want to do as we take communion as we eat we confess that jesus is our lord and jesus is our king that he rules and he reigns and he calls us to repent and to turn to him and that as we eat this we are celebrating the way in which he conquered with his blood and with his body and what i want to do before we do this we're not going to sing i want us to do something that is also culturally shocking be silent for a minute and just kind of let what jesus has said to ephesus just kind of linger on it think about your life think about what you're marked by think about what the church in america is marked by think about jesus the fact that he loved you first Before you even loved him. He loved his enemies. First. And all of our love is a response to him. Let's just be quiet for a minute.
All right, let's take communion together. As they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Amen. So let's sing about our loving king. You're welcome to stand with us as we close. Let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the Lord's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. Let us love the Lord who bought us, pitied us when enemies called us by His grace and taught us Gave us ears and gave us eyes. He has washed us with his blood. He presents our souls to God. Let us wonder grace and justice. Join and point to mercy's door. When through grace in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. He who washed us with his blood has secured our way to God. Let us praise and join the chorus of the saints enthroned on high. Here they trusted him before us. Now their praises fill the sky. He who washed us with his blood soon will bring us home to God. Let us sing through fierce temptation, bread and heart to bear us down. For the Lord, our strong salvation, holds in view the conqueror's crown. 
has washed us with his blood. He has washed us with his blood. He has His blood, He presents our souls to God.